Okay, today's guest is a professional sports presenter and broadcast journalist with a passion for football as strong as his love of beer and German cuisine. With extensive knowledge of the world game and expert hosting skills, this man informs and entertains us through countless media channels such as Optus Sport and Euromax. He's an outgoing, adventurous character whose dedication to the Bundesliga, European football and informing the viewer is evident in every cross, interview and video of him running 5Ks in a Santa costume. It is my great pleasure to welcome Mr. Max Merrill to the Continental Breakfast. Max, how are you? Hi, James. What an intro. I feel so blessed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I'm well. I'm back in Berlin after uh, uh, spending quite a lot of time in Munich during the Euros, or most of the time, actually. And uh, so for me, the tournament uh, is largely over as a professional, although I am on shift uh, for the semifinals. Yep. But um yeah, I was in the stadium, loving loving life, living the dream, uh, and now I'm back to harsh reality of sitting in an office. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'll, I have to ask you what the weather's like because you just said it's raining outside. Is it still humid yeah. or normal? What, what is it like there? Yeah, Berlin is quite humid. Berlin, the word Berlin is actually uh, a Sorbic, which is an old language, an old sort of Slavic language that was spoken in this region. It's a Sorbic word for swamp. Berlin has a lot of, if you dig 10 meters, you hit water in Berlin. Um, and when it rains, it, it's like serious rain. Uh, yeah. It's not like in the UK where you get the drizzle. We, we, although saying that we have had a little drizzle just now. Yeah. But yeah, so it's really, the summers are really hot and humid. We've got loads of lakes as well. So there's lots of just humidity in the air. Today's all right, 27 degrees, but high humidity. So a bit of a sweat going on, yeah. Yeah, well, hopefully you can cool yourself down with a beer. I know you like to get into your beers. In one of your latest uh, videos that I watched, you revealed that a German on average drinks 25 liters more beer than an Australian per year. How many liters have you done this tournament? Uh, I've definitely uh, gone over my average for for the last few years, especially yeah. with pandemic. I've, I've weirdly gone in the other direction. Just I'm a bit of a, so, I'm more of a social drinker. So um, I, I haven't really had a lot of beer in the last few years, but then during the tournament, we were based in Munich. Me and, yeah. me and my cameraman, we get on really well. So uh, Manuel, shout out to Manuel. Um, and, you know, in Bavaria, they have this mass culture. So you can get these elsewhere in Germany, but a liter size yeah. of, of beer, which is, I think uh, I'm correct in saying that's two and a half skewies almost. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's weirdly goes down really well. Like mm -hmm. you'd think a liter of beer after like half of it, it gets warm. And yeah. I don't know what they do with the glass. There's some sort of technology in there. <laughs> I don't know, but it's, it's great. And you, you end up drinking just at such a uh, heavier pace just because you've, you know, you're trying to finish your glass like anyone, but it's a liter. So yeah, <laughs> definitely gone up uh, during the tournament. Yeah, brilliant. So other than drinking beer, tell me what an average day for you looks like during, during a tournament. What are you, what are you doing? Yeah, so this tournament was kind of has, has been kind of for me the best yet because usually, so I work for for DW, uh, which is Germany's international broadcaster, kind of similar to like BBC World or France Twenty Four or something like that. Um, so I obviously I work in English for them mainly for the sports output. Um, so usually tournaments I would be in Berlin uh, covering covering the 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 tournament from afar, basically cutting together match highlights, going into the studio, doing analysis and like breakdowns of games. Um, so this, this opportunity came along. Uh, I was meant to be in 2020 for actual Euro 2020. I was going to be based in London for DW and covering mainly the England matches there. Um, and then the pandemic came and everything sort of went up in arms. 
and then I got this opportunity to to work for, with Optus, uh, which is the Australian broadcasters, you know, the, um, who have the rights for the Euros, and that was fantastic because it was just access all areas. So uh, on a on a normal non-match day, uh, we'd usually get up and talk to to uh, one of the producers who was um, sort of on our schedule. No, hold on, he was on Australian schedule. So we had one Australian schedule producer, one European schedule producer, both based in Sydney. Yeah. So whoever of them was awake, I'd just speak to and say, look, uh, we've got this idea to do a beer garden tour, like how how silly can I get? How how far can I go? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of language do you want me to use sort of thing? And yeah. um, and then on match days, we, have, we had like really regimented schedules. So we'd like usually do seven, eight, nine crosses early morning in the city center or midday in the city center, then progress in front of the stadium uh, during halftime of the early match, if there was one. And then um, we'd go into the stadium, just do crosses a couple before match, halftime, post-match into the breakfast show in in Australia. So that was kind of the the match day schedule. Yeah. Yeah. No. So how much prep do they actually give you before you, you go live? So do they, do they prep you and say, we're going to ask you this, this, and this, or is it sometimes you just, Hey, we're going coming to you live. Just go for it. Um, yeah, kind of a mix. It depends on who, who, who you're talking to. So, um, but you know, I definitely, you know, everyone has to, you have to expect that there's no prep basically. I mean, with Optus have been really, really great. Communication has been really good there. Um, where, you know, shortly before we go live, we're testing the connection quite a bit in advance. Uh, then shortly before we go live, we have, uh, I usually just had a chat uh, with uh, the presenter or presenters. So in the mornings, for me, at least in the mornings, uh, Melons, uh, Claude's. Yep. Um, and then people like Rich Bayless or Neve or whoever, whoever was on, on shift presenting the show. So we just have a little quick chat. Um, often the producer would text me uh, ahead of time just saying is there anything particularly you want to hit or like you know one day i said oh i've just caught this guy on camera who balances a beer on his head can you yeah. get this in the show and then i'll talk about him and yeah. stuff so so it's always nice to be for them to be proactive and and that usually was the case with optus i've worked with other broadcasters in the past where that's not really the case where for whatever reason maybe they don't have time because they're running the whole show themselves anyway uh or or just just forgot or whatever so so my mindset is always just just be ready with like a list of things sometimes i have a little piece of paper that i stick just below the camera just in case if this especially if it's like a touchy subject yeah if it's like a controversial thing just so i don't get my lines fluffed or whatever yeah nice um am i correct in saying so your mother is german uh you were born in germany but your father's english and i think you were raised over there where where do your alliances lie as so you are you an english fan through and through or uh are you german fan when they're up and about what (laughs) what fan yeah I was having a conversation uh, with a mate of mine who's who's uh, he has three passports. He's German English parents. Uh, dad's from Newcastle. He was born in Newcastle, Australia. So, and I, for me, you know, I was I was born in Berlin. I was raised in Berlin. I went to a German American school. Yeah. Um, so I always stuck out as the the English guy. Um, and uh, between like the age of seven and ten or something, I did have an American accent because I kind of just assimilated. Okay, yeah. My dad sort of drummed that out of me, but you know, <laughs> and uh, um, but yeah. So I I I went to I finished school in in uh, in Berlin, then went to Scotland for uni, and then England, uh, Manchester for uni as well. But um, as we we always went over, you know, I know all my cousins over there, um, and my uncles and loads of pals as well. Just we we used to go every year. When I was really young, we still had a flat that my dad was subletting in, in London, and then that got too costly, and he ended up selling it. And 
that or I don't even know if you owned it, maybe not. But um, then then we used to just go to my granddad's up in near Newcastle or my family down in, near Salisbury or in London and Yorkshire and, and those kind of areas of the uh, UK. So I was always there, but like I stuck out as the only English guy, except for my mate George in an American school. So um, yeah, watching football with my dad, it was always England. And, and until I was like, 22 i really didn't even like watching germany i wasn't like a fan at all and then when i moved to scotland everyone was like oh you're a german and i was like no i'm not i'm english like what do you want but yeah. then being in living in scotland being english is not as good as being german in scotland yeah, where people... <laughs> <laughs> so so i around about two i mean 2006 world cup i remember watching germany and quite kind of liking it it was a younger team as well um and then 2010, no way, England all the way, and obviously England lost. And then 2014 was the first tournament where I kind of really was like, had a connection, felt a connection with Germany, and then obviously they won it. But um, I still, England is still number one for me. Yep. It's, it's a different feeling, like even just, you know, when they score, it's just a different feeling. So I like Germany. I, I feel German. I didn't always feel German. I yep. always felt like an English guy from Berlin was always my home. But now I feel sort of 50-50 also just because of other things <laughs> that yeah. have happened since. But uh, yeah. 50-50 yeah. and you're presenting as well, obviously fluent in German and English. Which do you prefer um, presenting in? 100% English. I just feel, yeah. I, I, I used to make music as well and I always wrote yeah. songs in, in English. Just feel more comfortable. Just, it's just easier also for me to like, you know, to have banter or yeah. Um, it's it's for me, it's the more creative language. So German is the more sort of pragmatic language in my my sort of uh, life. Um, and yeah, English has always been more comfortable. And like you rightly point out, I do present in German as well. Uh, this culture show I do called Euromax, I present in both languages. Uh, not named after me, by the way. <laughs> Can't take credit for that. But um, I. Yeah, nine. I'd say still ninety to ninety-five percent of my work is in English, which is weird considering I live in Germany. Mm. <laughs> and growing up, did you always want to be a, a journalist or reporter, or was it? Did you want to play football? What was your dream growing up? I mean, I, I very young. I wanted to play football, and yeah. my mum uh, didn't want me to. She, as in, like in a club. I, I played football always yeah, in yeah. the park near my house and stuff, but, um, my mum didn't want me to join a football club. Cause she said they're all like, um, I don't know how you would translate the German word calls, maybe like chavs almost, but not quite. Uh, there is, there is, she did have some sort of truth to it because there was, you know, there is a sort of culture here in some Berlin clubs where the parents are like, you know, knock him off his feet, just yeah. give him one. Da, da, da. And she was not a fan of that. And and she said when I was about six or whatever, if you want to play in a, in a club, you've got to go yourself. And I was like, well, I'm six, this is not going to work out. So <laughs> I played all sorts of different sports. Um, but I still always, yeah, I loved football and I, I dreamed, you know, I was on in the park and we'd, you know, be like taking a free kick and thinking, yeah, I'm David Beckham now and, and I, oh, you're Paul Scholes and you're this. And uh, I loved watching football and um, got always got excited when England played and Manchester United is my club. Even though my dad supports Arsenal, he, he failed on that one. I always tell him, you, sh you could have easily made me an Arsenal supporter, but you just didn't try enough. Uh, and then I watched Man United and that's it. Beat Arsenal. And I and I saw all the England players and I was yeah. like, well, that's who I support anyway. Yeah. Um good choice. Good choice, Max. Yeah. So so uh yeah, and in terms of like a journalist, like that wasn't really on my radar. Like my dad worked in he was a singer originally, but then he worked in in radio. Um 
uh, for many years and and also television. But it was so it was something that I was familiar with, but not something that I necessarily wanted to do. Um, I was I went to uni um, with the with the idea of becoming a teacher. Uh, studied English and music. Didn't like I love music and love making music, but I didn't like studying it, so I, I swapped that for another subject. And then it was only until my I think second or third year of uni that I kind of thought. Um, I, li- I listened to a lot of talk sport back then. Uh, and Colin Murray was was really the guy where I was listening to him and I was like, this guy is not sort of a standard presenter. He was the kind of guy who who had his own opinions, who had his own ideas of what he wanted to do. And there's there's other guys like that now that I listen to. I listen to a lot of basketball podcasts. So Bill Simmons, Kevin O'Connor, Chris Vernon. Those are all guys where I just think, man, these these it's not a charade it's not the hello today we're going to talk about football it's just hey we're going to talk about football and i, I really don't i don't agree and it was much more natural and listening to talk sport and especially colin murray uh that made me want to do it and then i so i joined a a, a community radio station in aberdeen where i was and very quickly presented my own show called not the news um it was you know it wasn't paid there it was they were always needed airtime to be filled so i joined the sports show there as well which was really focused on like aberdeen and scottish sport um and uh yeah presented my own show there and and then then i started to do internships and um decided to do a master's in broadcast journalism down in manchester yeah Awesome. Uh, th- that relationship, obviously you've done um, this tournament and other, other other tournaments. What's the relationship like with other reporters from around the world? Is it, is it very collegiate? I know you've got, it looks like you've got a c- good connection with uh, Adriana Del Monte and Tancredi Palmieri, especially that last game you're watching together. But what's it, what's it like, the relationship? Is there big personalities? Sometimes you clash or does everyone get along? Yeah, it, it really depends, you know. Um, I'm always surprised pleasantly surprised when people in the broadcast industry are nice, especially on camera. You know, there are definitely people who are, who are tricky, who are very uh, worried. I I worked early in my career with someone who was, you know, always looking over his shoulder, always worried about the new people coming in and always Mm -hmm. then trying to impose himself and, and, and kind of be dominant and kind of show who's boss. Uh, So there's definitely those types of characters and you've got to be careful I think in the industry, just how how much you let that happen to you. And uh, but saying that, I I'm always pleasantly surprised, um, and more often than not, when people people usually are nice and people are. I think that's the way to go. Like Adriano, for instance, I didn't know Adriano before this tournament. Uh, we met in the middle of the city centre, knowing, hey, we got to meet, and then immediately go on air together. Yeah. Um, and he he couldn't have been more easy to work with and nicer. Um, so you know, I'll stay in touch with him. And and he's an example of of people where you think before you meet them, you don't know what they're going to be like. You don't know if they're going to be sort of protective about their turf or or precious about their time or whatever it may be. Um, and so often I'm proven wrong by that, you know. And and I I try to do that myself. Like also, I think in a piece of advice that my dad gave me early on when I was um performing with my band um back in back in school, he always said, when you go to a venue, like say hi to the lighting guy, the sound guy, make sure that you appreciate what they're doing because those are the people who make you look and sound good. Um, same as the cameraman. And I've, I've always tried to keep that up, you know, especially as a presenter, I see a lot of colleagues 
who, you know, walk into the studio, the makeup person, they go, yeah, go away, go away. Oh, the sound, yeah, yeah, the they don't treat these people with respect. And those are your colleagues. Those aren't, you know, you're not like their boss. You know, I ha we all have the same boss. <laughs> and that's the person who might be uh, a bit short with us or whatever. But like at the in the studio, just because you're in front of camera, you know, it's the same with uh, working with Manuel, the cameraman here, you know, who is just such, such a pro, um, so good at what he does. And I think it's so important to, to, also take into account, like whenever he, you know, I always bounce off opinions off of him because like at the end of the day, it's a two man team. Uh, one person's in front of the camera, one person's behind. So yeah. And, and like I say, in broadcasting, there are definitely people you've got to be careful of, but uh, also, yeah. you know, always be, always be friendly and, and, and hopefully you'll get it back. I was actually going to ask you what your, your best piece of advice would be. Is it around that and building relationships with people around you? That's definitely part of it. I mean, that's something, like I say, my dad, gave me that advice early on because he's in the entertainment industry and, and yeah. just said, look, like you, you gotta be, you gotta be humble and, and, um, you know, uh, realize that you're, you, you might be the face of the operation if you're in front of camera or in behind the mic or whatever, mm. but you're not the, the only person making this thing happen, you know? Um, but also an, another piece of advice I always give, uh, people who, um, is, you know, what my experience was getting into the industry, you obviously, many people do a lot of internships or take opportunities wherever they may come. Mm -hmm. And I always think, um, if, if you have a bad time somewhere, that's actually probably more useful than having like a good time somewhere, because when you have a bad internship experience or job experience early on, that gives you a clear idea. I don't want to do this. This is hundred percent not part of what I want to do with my life. So it kind of gives you a really good idea of like a checklist of things that you can rule out. Um, so that's something that I always, always try and, uh, uh, communicate is like, if you have an internship that goes badly, that's a really valuable experience just because you've now realized that's not what I want to do. And, and I had a few of those early on in my career, um, where, yeah, it just helped me realize like, okay, so let me focus a little bit closer on where I want to go. Mm. Um, and obviously you still do different things and stuff. And I do lots of different things in my career now, but, um, there's also been points now in the last few years where I just have to weed out certain things where I just think that's not worth my time or that's not making me happy or whatever. Mm, no, I like that. I wanted to ask you, Max, because on the outside, a lot of people say, oh, you know, sports reporting and journalism, geez, that's the dream job. It's so good. You must love life. There's a lot of hard work that goes into it, a lot of sacrifices you need to make. And to get through it and to get to where you are, um, obviously you need things that motivate you. What what motivates you to, to work hard and, and keep achieving? There's something in particular. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think what motivates me. I mean, it's it's definitely moments like this with uh, Optus, you know, yeah. uh, doing the Euros. That's definitely a huge motivator, and that's something that I'm I'm you know really pleased that uh, that that happened. And mm. um, I think also you know you have to find stuff that works for you. If you go into sports journalism, you're very right. I mean, it sounds kind of cheesy, but you're right. You give up a lot of things, especially your weekends. Yeah. Like that's one thing that, you know, I, I sort of thought about before, but it, once it really happens and you, you know, your mates are out on the weekend and they say, Oh, do you want to come? And you go, now nah, I've got to do Bundesliga stuff. Um, or, you know, there's a lot of shift work in, in, in journalism. So I, I do early shifts and late shifts, even sometimes do night shifts, which I hate doing, but, um, uh, so, you know, and you kind of have to build your life around that. So for me, it was, the thing that's kind of kept me going with that is just finding ways like, um, so 
with the late shift, uh, early shift thing, it's really important for me to use the, the, the day. So if you work nine to five, a lot of people come home 6 PM or whatever, and then they have their routine, they make their dinner, they watch TV and then they go to bed or whatever, or they might go to the gym late or whatever. So for me, it's like creating that kind of routine within a, a shift schedule, uh, bubble of like, okay, I've got a late shift. I need to get out of bed still at like nine maybe go play some basketball, maybe go to the gym, or maybe even if it's just like going for a little walk and, and uh, meeting a mate for a coffee. Um, that's, that's, that's kind of, that kind of keeps me going. But yeah, in terms of motivation, like it's, it's just big moments, like being in the stadium, soaking up the atmosphere, being able to like, we were able, especially because of the COVID situation with our accreditation, I was able to walk through the whole stadium, join, like sit down, as long as there was two seats either side, I, I could sit down anywhere in the stadium. And that was just cool to be like able to soak up the atmosphere that, that way and, and, yeah. and, and watch the games, you know, at the same time, like I'm, I'm still a fan, you know, I, I football is still something I really love watching the pandemic and, and also working the last few years, you know, with back-to-back -back sort of always season tournament, season tournament kind of spoiled it a little bit. Like it, I got less excited about football. It was, um, but then Euro 2020 kind of reignited the flame. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant. And Euro 2020, I want to ask you about it. I need your tips for the upcoming semi-final. So who's making the final? Is it, is it going to be Italy against England like most people are predicting or can you see an upset coming? Um, I mean, yeah, the, the this Euros has been brilliant because so many things have been unexpected. Um, and there's just been so many goals as well. Like I, I'm in a prediction uh, thing at work uh, where we all buy in and then do predictions and bonus predictions and all that stuff. I'm solid mid-table, uh, <laughs> not going to lie. I mean, it's not, I'm not far off, but I, I unfortunately picked France and Portugal to be in the semis. So yeah, and usually with these prediction rounds, at least at our work, it's, it's open to everyone, not just the sports guys. And it's yeah. hardly ever the sports guys that win just because exactly. we always don't, we don't really back the underdog too much, but, um, I, Denmark, I mean, as an England supporter, you're always, you have to be worried just because of yeah. precedent, you know, it's always been, uh, a little bit tricky to uh, to foresee us just getting into the final, even though the path was so clear. The Ukraine performance may, made me a lot more optimistic, although Ukraine didn't really sit back as much as I expect Denmark might do, because uh, Denmark are a lot cleverer, I think, with Ukraine, I, I really like that Shevchenko said, just go for it. But at the same time, that opened the door for England. Like if, if Ukraine had just sat back with two banks of four and said, try it. I think England would have struggled a lot more. And I, again, don't, I didn't see Spain really getting out of the group stage after that first performance. Um, I still think Italy have got it. I mean, it's Italy's tournament to lose really. I mean, Spinozola being out, you know, Florenzi is also still out. I don't know if he's going to be able to come back. Um, they, uh, you know, obviously they survived with Di Lorenzo on the right, uh, oh, sorry, yeah, on the right-hand side. Thought, but yeah. Spinozola... That's a big blow. So um, Emerson's solid, but he's not like the same quality of a player. And I think what Isley had so much was the chemistry. So I just worry if that upsets the chemistry, but I still back them to get to the final. I still back England to get to the final. I like Denmark's side a lot. I really like Josef Paulsen, for instance, who plays for RB Leipzig. I've watched him play quite a lot and he's just such a hard worker as well. And as well as being talented and, and over the last few years is, finishing has improved a lot. Mm. Uh, I think Denmark have a really cool team. Like that, that front three is exciting. It's mobile and, and they just quite quality throughout the side. 
but England at home, I'm backing them. So I think England, Italy final, if I'm being realistic, I think Italy beat England, uh, but you know, it's coming home. That, that's right. It's at Wembley as well. I mean, from the outside, it looks like the England fans and, and the whole nation is very confident about this. But like you said, you know, it's hard to be confident as an English fan. What What is the vibe like for you and, and, and the people you know around England? Is it is it that confidence or is it a kind of fake confidence you put on the mask and think, God, I hope we don't stuff this? Yeah, I mean, loads of my mates uh, in England or or here in Berlin also, like they always, when they say it's coming home, they sort of yeah. catch themselves and they're like, yeah. no, I better not say it. Like, yeah. like, it's, like it's, it's like it's Voldemort or whatever. Like you're, <laughs> yeah. the thing that shall not be named or like, yeah. don't yeah. mention and don't mention the war or whatever. But uh, mm. uh, um, yeah, I think, I mean, my mate Finn in, in England is like, he, he after the uh, previous round where England beat Germany, he was like, sending me voice notes where he, he sounded like he'd, yeah, he was on a real high and, and, and loving life. And I think, uh, you know, with, with the pandemic, just people seem more excited, uh, about, about, well, you know, you're always excited at a tournament, but the, I think the pandemic has done something to people where they, they just drink in the moments now, like yeah. whatever moment, uh, you get, I think a lot of people have, have learned to live in the moment a bit more. So mm-hmm. I think the mood is one of, slightly cautious optimism that's what i'm getting from from like friends and family um and i'm just excited i, I really hope they make the final because i've got the final off so uh, yeah, just enjoy, it. enjoy it yeah <laughs> i'm one. working for the semis <laughs> hey last one max before i ask you i do 10 quick questions with all of my guests the first thing that comes to your head but i wanted to know the vibe in germany so what was the the reaction like after um, Germany was knocked out because there was a little bit of disappointment the way that they first played. And then there was a kind of the hope, oh, maybe they're clicking into gear now. And then there was the disappointment again. What, what, what is the vibe like over there? Yeah. The Portugal game gave people yeah. massive false hope, I think, because, yeah, yeah. um, beating Portugal four two, and we can't remember it was four two, like they conceded early in the first half and they yeah. conceded again late on. And it was both times Manuel Neuer was furious. Um, we were in Munich after the Portugal game and it was like, we just made the semis or whatever, you know, and everyone was out in the streets. Everyone was loving it. Um, I think going into the tournament, most people were real, being realistic and thinking, okay, we have France and Portugal in the group stage. This isn't going to be an easy one. Um, that Portugal game, like I say, gave people false hope. Hungary people just thought, Oh yeah, whatever we're through. Um, and then this weird thing happened after the England game that people were suddenly trashing the team, especially the media were like, oh, there's no heart, there's no soul to this team. I like the Germany squad. It's not as good as some squads in the past, but I think, you know, you look at like a guy like Robin Gosens, who's been a real find at left wing back. I think they should stick to the back three. It works well for players like Ginter and Rüdiger play that way for their club anyway. Um, so yeah, I think like a few fans that I've spoken to have been kind of like, much more forgiving than the media here have been and just said, look, it just wasn't our tournament. It wasn't um, set up for us. We don't have the best, we don't have one of the best squads or starting 11s. So I think, you know, for Hansi Flick, the important thing to figure out is is the attack, really. I think the midfield with with Goretzka, I, I expect Kimmich will probably move into midfield and then they'll, they'll play whoever they can on the right-hand side. But um, I think there's enough talent up front. It's just figuring out that mix. And I do think they... As as old school as it sounds, I think they would benefit from a number nine or of sorts. Yeah, so I think I think there's not a great amount of talent coming through yeah. in terms of like out and out strikers. But even if you play Van, I, I liked it, the lineup against uh, England. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. 
Well, good things to look forward to then, hopefully. And uh, I'm looking forward to this. Ten quick questions, Max. The first thing that comes to your head, okay? All right. Your favorite food? Indian. All Indian food. Okay. All curries. Yeah. Nice. Uh, favorite European country to holiday in? Ooh. England? Yeah. Or Spain? But or Spain. England. We're going. Okay. Uh, the best person you've ever interviewed? Uh, probably Kimmich was cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll go Kimmich. Kimmich, nice. Uh, who is your idol? Colin Murray, I'd say probably, yeah. Your favourite movie? Pineapple Express. Oh, nice. Uh, other than learning to do your own makeup for shows, what's your greatest accomplishment? <laughs> you, what have you found of me? Um, <laughs> greatest accomplishment. I don't know. Probably Euro 2020 is. I, if I look at my own stuff, like yeah, that's probably what I feel most proud about and happy about. Yeah. Brilliant. Out of all the players left in the tournament, uh, who would you choose to score a penalty to save your life? Ooh, probably the Jorginho miss one last season. I think probably Last Jorginho. Yeah, I think Jorginho's Jorginho's I would go Jorginho. Yeah. 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 But he has missed in the past, but that's all right. We'll take the chance. Um, what makes you angry? Uh, just people making things more complicated than they need to be. And, and uh, also um, yeah, policies on climate change <laughs> don't make me too happy. <laughs> that's fair enough, too. Uh, one thing not many people know about you. I don't know what I can reveal. Um, maybe that I'm vegan. Oh, well, you're vegan. Hey, I didn't know that. There you go. Yeah. Vegan. I guess so. Very nice. Last one. If you had a time machine and you could go back to attend any sporting event in history, which one would you go back to? Probably 1966 World yeah. Cup. I had a final. Probably. Uh, although the... the that treble season, that treble winning season from Man United. Yeah. I would like to have been there as well for, for maybe the Champions League final. Although, the, But the Champions League final was pretty rough for like 90 minutes. So mm. I don't know if I would have wanted to live through that. That's yeah, what I think, yeah. 66, I thought you'd say that, yeah. Max. You're an absolute legend, mate. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. I've loved chatting to you today and I love watching you cover the game in Europe. You're a true professional. I wish you nothing but the best, mate. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, and thanks to be, for being so kind. I don't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely do, mate. Let's keep in touch. All right, hopefully yeah. I'll, uh, I'll come to Berlin one day. We can get a one-litre beer together. We'll do it, yeah. All right. nice one. Thank you. Thank you, mate. Thank you.